Welcome to our new podcast series, Privacy Abbreviated. Brought to you by BBB National Programs in Osano, we hope to help business leaders operationalize and prepare for what's next in privacy. I'm Donna Frazier, Senior Vice President of Privacy Initiatives at BBB National Programs. And I'm Catherine Dawson, General Counsel and Chief Privacy Officer at Osano, a data privacy compliance software company. We look forward to being your guides this season, breaking down what's happening in privacy to deliver only the takeaways you need. So Catherine, I'm really excited to just kick the season off with you. Me too, Donna. It's going to be fun. Before we introduce today's topic and guests, let's talk about big recent privacy developments. The first is that a federal bill with bipartisan support from both chambers has been released. This bill, currently known as the American Data Privacy and Protection Act, is a fairly comprehensive privacy framework. While it's just a draft and has a long way to go and lots of hurdles to clear before it might become law, what do you think our listeners need to know right now, Donna? So I I absolutely think we're, we're seeing movement that we've never seen before, which I think is exciting for those of us in the privacy space. Maybe there's been some push because of what's happening on the state level, But when I read the draft of this bill, you know, whether or not this is what we end up seeing going into law, what's fascinating to me is that it does provide a roadmap of, I think, a lot of issues that we know are being thought about. So even if this draft doesn't go through, it's clear that this Congress is thinking about issues surrounding algorithms, surrounding targeted advertising, surrounding not just data collection, but really what is now sensitive data. So I think that even if this version is not what we see, we do have a roadmap to really where their heads are at. And I think it's an opportunity for those of us in the business, especially those of us on the self-regulatory side, such as BBB National Programs, to really think about how we get ahead of this. Interesting. The other big development in the last couple of weeks has been the proposed regulations released by the California Privacy Agency. When we take a look at those regulations, and there was recently a hearing on June 8th, what, what are your thoughts around how things are looking in California? So I, I think watching California progress alongside this bill, will, it will be interesting to see what happens. But again, I think as most of us know where California goes, the, the country goes. I think that there are just a lot of complications for people and especially for, I think, multinational companies who are just struggling with how to do this um, and looking at what's happening on the other states. So I, I think that there's just some real hurdles. And I think industry is having some challenges. I agree. At first, they were supposed to be done with their rulemaking process by July 1st. I think they've indicated that that is unlikely to be a deadline that they meet. And so it'll be interesting to see whether or not they push back the enforcement date and give companies a little bit more time to adjust to these new regulations that while we have a pretty good indication of where they're headed, they're certainly not final yet. Right. Agreed. So now that we're caught up, what will we be talking about today, Donna? Sure. So I think if if we go back to just 2017, just five years ago, the landscape looked totally different. There was no GDPR, no CCPA. And I think today we want to really answer the question of how we got to the privacy landscape we see today and what that means for businesses. So we also have a guest with us today. So joining us to kick off Privacy Abbreviated is Professor Dan Solove. Dan is the John Marshall Harlan Research Professor of Law at the George Washington University Law School. 
He is also the founder of Teach Privacy, a company that provides privacy and data security training to businesses, healthcare institutions, universities, and other organizations. Thank you for joining us, Dan. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. So, Dan, to get us started, can you tell us a little bit about how you got involved in the privacy space? Certainly. So it was uh, the late 90s. I was still in law school. I knew at that point I wanted to be a professor of law. And during that time, the internet was really taking off. And I thought this was uh, here to stay. It presented a lot of interesting issues. And I thought I would be generally a in the field of cyber law. Privacy issues were ones that really hadn't been explored that much. So I thought, you know, this is a great opportunity to write a couple pieces to start on privacy. So I started and uh, realized that it was much more involved and there was much more to this than just an article or two. In fact, it was a rabbit hole that led to a wonderland of so many issues to explore and the field has grown dramatically. When I started, you know, the HIPAA regulations weren't in effect. There was no GDPR. The state privacy laws that we're seeing today weren't around. There really were only a few laws and there were hardly any privacy officers. There were maybe one or two firms that had a, a very small privacy practice. And all of this has changed. So the field really has grown dramatically. I thought it would grow, but not quite as rapidly and as vastly as it has. Interesting. Thanks, Dan. So when we think about privacy laws and how companies are starting to approach them, what would you say to help business leaders understand the differences between the U.S. and the EU perspectives? In some ways, they're similar, and in some ways, they're different. So how would you help business leaders understand the different approaches? Well, basically, it's often said as a shorthand, the U.S. is a sectoral approach where we have different laws for different industries. And the EU has an omnibus approach, the GDPR, which sets a minimum baseline for privacy across all industries. That's a quick nutshell, but there's actually a lot more differences. And the U.S. approach is very hard to characterize because We do have somewhat of a comprehensive privacy law, which is the FTC Act Section 5, which prohibits unfair and deceptive practices, which applies to most businesses with a few carve-outs. There are state laws and all these different federal laws touching on different parts of privacy, and they're uh, not they take different approaches and use different terminology. There's state common law. We have all sorts of different things in the United States. So What's tricky about the U.S. approach to privacy is it's all over the place. It's incredibly messy. And there are parts of privacy law in the United States that are actually stronger and even more protective than the GDPR. And there are gaps where there is hardly anything to protect and other areas of law that are much weaker. So we really see some pretty big differences. Uh, Another generalization, and I really can only make generalizations because for every generalization, there's something in the U.S. that is a little different somewhere. But generally speaking, uh, the U.S. relies on a notice and choice approach, which is that you provide something in your notice and then you give people a right to opt out or some kind of decision, sometimes an opt in. Basically, you can use data however you want as long as people don't object to it or it doesn't cause some kind of serious harm. 
In the EU, the uses are circumscribed. The law says what the valid uses of data are, and there are six allowable uses under the GDPR. And you have to have one of those uses. And if you don't have one of those uses, you can't use the data, even if it it, it doesn't cause any harm in that use. And that's a very big difference in approach. Agreed. I think it's a huge difference. And so in our U.S. state laws, privacy laws that are coming online in 2023, the concept of data minimization sort of dovetails into that discussion, right? And I think this is a big mind shift that's going to be required of businesses, particularly in the technology space, where sort of data has been considered to be an asset. And the more data you can collect, the better. And so I've worked with a lot of technology companies over the years where, and not because they're trying to do anything nefarious, but they're trying to collect data. And even if they don't know how to monetize it or what they're going to do with it now, it was always seen as a good practice to collect more data. So with the the new principles of data minimization coming into play with CPRA and additional U.S. state laws that'll be on the books in 2023, how should companies start that mind? Well, first of all, would you agree it's a bit of a mind shift? And if so, so how would you help companies start to navigate that process? Well, it's very tricky. I mean, privacy law has long had data minimization principles in it, and a lot of laws have always said minimize data. And for you know, it's long been considered a really good data hygiene practice. Um, what we're seeing now, though, is more laws are really putting more pressure on that, which I think is a good thing. I think the tricky thing with data minimization is, well, uh, exactly how do you do it on the side of the policymakers is how how do you enforce that other than making it just a nice sounding principle in a law like, oh yeah, we we just ask companies to please be data minimalists. How do you actually make a meaningful enforcement? We really haven't seen ways to kind of give rigor to this principle yet from enforcers. So we're going to see how that evolves because I think that over time as more laws try to push that principle, they're going to get criticized for not being meaningful about it. So I think then the enforcers are going to start to think about ways that they can uh, breathe more life into this principle to give it more rigor and some real standards. Uh, and we'll see how that develops. On the what companies should do, I think it's generally a really good practice because it actually minimizes risk. You start collecting different pieces of data, you can trigger different laws. And so one case, for example, before the FTC was the PATH case. And here's a case with a company that gathered a lot of information, including the birth dates of people. Now, they really didn't need this information. They didn't really have a very important use for it, but they just gathered it anyway because, hey, why not? You know, let's gather a piece of information about somebody. Well, that gave it actual knowledge that some of its users were under the age of 13, which triggered COPPA. And of course, the, to the company's surprise, they thought, you know, we're not really primarily a, a company that, you know, caters to, to kids. So COPPA wasn't on their radar screen. And then suddenly they're enforced against and realize that, oh, my gosh, they haven't been following COPPA. They didn't even realize that it was applying to them. And that was because they collected that piece of data. So they have to be very careful about the data that's collected. The same thing with collecting pieces of sensitive data as well. 
or even generally personal data when they might not be aware that the data they're collecting is personal data or that collecting uh, multiple pieces of personal data could you know, give rise to an inference of sensitive data. So you have to be really careful about the information they collect because the more information that you collect, the more privacy laws you're going to attract to yourself. And, and so that's what I think companies need to think about because they could invite a, a lot of additional compliance burdens and perhaps enforcement uh, by collecting this data that really isn't needed. I advise companies to you really think about each piece of data, like, you know, what is the value of this? Do you really need to collect it? Do you really need to keep it? And really try to make sure that you do a good data mapping so that you understand what data do you have? What data are you collecting? And always think about with new products and services, you know, what data you're going to be gathering. Do you really need it? What's the purpose of it? Identify that so you know a lot of times it's hard to even know what data do you have? What data are you collecting? Once you know these things, then you can really analyze how important is this and then figure out, okay, what are the consequences of gathering this information? Uh, And that's something that privacy professionals at the companies or outside counsel needs to uh, take a look at. I agree. I think that's very good advice. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that we talk to companies about is even just the language you're using in your privacy policy, right? When you're saying we may do this versus we will or are going to do this, right? Talking, using affirmative language in your privacy policy, as opposed to using vague language and leaving the door open to what you may do in the future is not helpful for users. And again, I think creates greater risk and liability for the companies. I think even just the mere use of of certain verbs and language in privacy policies can eliminate on certain risk. And so this this talk of data minimization, I think, is a good transition to this new federal bill proposal that we've seen in front of us, the American Data Privacy and Protection Act, has a nice provision regarding data minimization. But Dan, I'd love to hear your thoughts about, you know, what's different this time around? Is it different this time around? I mean, we're all playing Monday morning quarterbacking on this, but what's the next step? What does it look like? What's the possibility of this happening? So I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on the new bill. When it comes to Congress, I wouldn't hold my breath. So if you ask how many Congress people does it take to change a light bulb? Well, 535 of them can't really even change a light bulb. So I'm very skeptical, especially of late in the last, really since this century, Congress just is almost completely dysfunctional. I think the bill now seems like the most optimistic time for Congress, but even in optimistic time, I'm somewhat skeptical because the Congress is the boy who cried wolf. You know, in almost every Congress, there are privacy bills. Just last Congress, there were three major privacy bills. And there has been talk for years and years. I've had this conversation over and over. Now is the time for a federal privacy law. The conversation used to be on data breach notification when all the states are passing laws. Everyone said, of course, there's going to be a federal data breach notification law. There's 50 different laws, and this is really difficult. It doesn't make sense to have 50 different standards. We should have one federal standard. Now, data breach notification is actually pretty easy, right? You have all 50 states. And and Puerto Rico and the D.C. have agreed to, you know, for basic breach notification. If you can't figure out, like, 
and there's not that many issues in, in contrast to a privacy uh, law, a general privacy law. So if you can't figure out something that's really easy, like data breach notification at the national level, which is basically a layup, how are you going to do what would be basically like a privacy bill, which is like a half court shot? That That's really tough. Uh, so I'm skeptical, although, you know, it's nice to see that Congress is interested. It's nice to see that there's some energy. It's nice to see that there's at least some smidgen of bipartisan uh, attempt to address this. And the bill that, that's out now, I would say is, mm, you know, it's, it's not awful. I don't think it's great. Yeah, we'll, we'll see where it goes. I'll at least pay attention. I'll watch, but I'm not going to be expecting anything or, or holding my breath. Right. No, I think we'll, we'll all be watching. So let's assume it doesn't happen or it, or it does happen. We know that we're left with a landscape where there are several state laws coming into effect in 2023. Whether there are more, we'll, we'll see. But how do companies navigate multiple state privacy laws while thinking ahead about a potential federal law? So I really do think we're still going to, whatever happens, isn't going to happen immediately with this federal Law, so we know that we're going to have a landscape of various state privacy laws. So how do companies navigate that landscape? Well, it's actually not quite as hard as it might seem at this point. A lot of the laws are basically weaker versions of the California law. And so I think if you look at the California Consumer Privacy Act, the CCPA, that is the standard. And some states have passed laws that are are, are so much weaker than that, that I don't really think they're really that much, you know, there's nothing to worry about, like the Utah law, which really adds nothing. It, it's just a lot weaker. So it it's not going to be hard to comply with at all. So if you're complying with California, you're likely going to be pretty good with the other laws. I think it's always good to just do a quick analysis to make sure there's not just some other slight deviation in a particular state's law but California gets you to the finish line most of the time. So you follow the strictest standard, which is kind of the playbook for data breach notification that a lot of companies do. The laws, they're not radical. And I don't think that a lot of the things that they require are that out of left field. I mean, these are things that exist in other privacy laws. They've existed in HIPAA. They're in GDPR. They're in a lot of other laws. Some of these things are already practices that the FTC has enforced against under Section 5 of the FTC Act. They're just now codified in the state laws. So it could be that a lot of uh, companies didn't realize they had to do some of these things, but you know, doing them, not doing them could get them in trouble with the FTC already. So the laws, I think, do sometimes you know, push the needle a little bit. I think they indicate that there's a significant public concern and a lot of legislative activity around privacy, which is good. And I think that some of them certainly had some compliance burdens, especially addressing the rights part of it, providing for consumer rights. I think what this illustrates, though, is that if a company has a good privacy program and is kind of up on the general sense and direction of privacy law, Complying with these laws is not going to be difficult. They're going to have the basic tools in place. Now, for companies that have not really paid much attention to this and haven't really done anything, then it becomes a big, expensive hassle and headache because they've got to go from zero to 60. 
But I hope at this point, most companies are on the highway and they're going a certain speed. And maybe they have to speed up a little bit, but if you're going 50 miles an hour and you go to 60, that's a much, much easier thing than if you're going zero to 60. So I think, and a lot of these state laws are not really asking you to go as far as California and as far as the GDPR. So companies are just doing business in the United States and in California, I think largely follow them. And, and if they're already, if they're doing business internationally and especially in the EU, then they're complying with the GDPR and the things they have in place to comply with the GDPR are, are likely going to be very usable for the laws in the U.S. And that's just one other point that, that I think is important. And I would always, I advise companies with the GDPR, even if they're not doing a lot of business in the EU, or even if they are, and they're, you know, someone like, oh my gosh, this is, you know, going to be a real headache to, to get compliant here. I, I, getting compliant, you're getting ahead of the curve when it comes to the rest of the world, because the world is heading there. And you can either get ready and kind of be prepared, or you can kind of wait and just somehow hope that it won't, spread to you, but it, it probably will. So I think it's better to be proactive, build a good program, have a good foundation. And then when we see the laws pop up, it's not going to create an all hands on deck. Oh my word, this is going to be crippling situation. It's just going to mean that you do a couple tweaks, but you're largely already sailing pretty smoothly. So I always advise get ahead of the law rather than be behind it. I think that's good advice. Dan, so obviously if companies have privacy programs and they've already been dedicating resources and time and attention to their privacy programs, uh, they should be in fairly good shape. For companies who are just starting on that highway, as you called it, which I think is a great metaphor. So where we've talked a little bit about their first steps around data mapping and understanding what data they collect and why and getting a good wrapping their arms around that. When we look at next steps for those companies in terms of building out their privacy programs, are there tools and technologies that folks can turn to to help with some of this? The company that I work for, we have tools, but when you talk and talk to companies and advise them on how to proceed, what kinds of tools should people be researching or looking for? Yeah, there's a lot of tools for a lot of components of the program. So one part is just, you know, I think it's very important to have someone who owns it, either a dedicated privacy person or in a smaller business, someone who at least is tasked with understanding the issue and figuring out what to do. There are consultants out there. There are law firms. There are people at for all different budgets who can help advise on these issues. So there's a lot of people out there who can provide advice. So it, And there are a lot of events and uh, information online. Uh, so there's a lot of ways that you can learn about what to do. So that's one thing is finding information, having someone who owns the issue and can be looking into it and asking the right people for help. Second, to do things like data mapping and privacy impact assessments, this can be done. There are a number of companies that offer some great platforms to help 
do these things, tools that aided with technology can you know, make this easier. I don't think that you can just push a button and all of this work gets done. And I think that's a something that I think is unfortunate when you, you see some of the marketing around some of the tools, like you know, we'll, we'll just you know push the magic button. But that, that doesn't mean the tools aren't useful. I think they're very useful, but it, it, you, you still need a person using the tools and working with them. And with the tools, I think they do make things easier and can be very helpful to you know, provide a, a set of questions for a privacy impact assessment, a way to enter the information in, a way to make data mapping easier. All that is, is great. And so I definitely think they, they should look into those tools, but just know that the tools aren't going to just be kind of self-executing. And then there's training, which is something that I do. So I'm a little biased on my view on training, but I think it's very important. A number of the laws require training. So you have to train your workforce. I think even if laws don't require it, training the workforce is very important. The company, you know, how do you follow the law if you don't tell people what they're supposed to do? You need the workforce to understand some basic things about how the company protects privacy, about what the basic rules are if you're going to have good compliance. You, you can't comply if, if, if most people don't know what they're complying with. So I think that training is, is important and, and something that oftentimes has to be done under a number of laws like California and the GDPR and HIPAA. But also, I think that that's just generally a, a good thing. And there are folks out there who have this training already made like me, for example. So it's not something where your company would have to reinvent the wheel. They can just find it and implement it. So Dan, um, you did kind of segue into my next question about training. So you are in front of a lot of companies doing training through Teach Privacy. So what are the top three pain points that you see businesses are running into? And what are the businesses not doing that they should be doing? Yeah. So I think the one of the biggest pain points in privacy is that we have so many different laws and they're very complex. And throughout the world, if a company is doing business globally, there are roughly about 150 countries that have a comprehensive privacy law. And then there are, you know, there's the GDPR and now all the different states and then laws in different areas in the United States, like you know, health data for HIPAA, FERPA, COPPA, et cetera. So how do you understand that landscape is really tricky. And so that's one pain point is trying to make sense of all the different laws. And then how do you train for that? A workforce that's not, they're not lawyers. So you have to explain things in a way that they can understand. The laws use different terms for personal data, which makes things confusing. They have different rules. How do you make sense of all this? That's one pain point. Contrast that with data security. I mean, basically the things you would tell someone to avoid being a victim of phishing are going to be universal, right? You tell them that and you tell them that it doesn't matter what country you're in or good hygiene to protect against security. It kind of it could be a one size fits all type of thing or varied with different organizations based on their risk, but it's not going to vary like privacy law, a, a challenge. The next thing is Doing this is somewhat time-consuming, building training that is, you're going to make sense of all the laws, that's going to have good expertise and, and really know, you know what's important and what's not is key because you don't want to get too detailed. There's a lot of pitfalls where you can 
training can get things wrong. You need to be really careful about constructing it. And it takes a long time to build a good training. It just takes care if you want to do a good job. The last thing is making the message resonate. It, it's a challenge. You know, people are very busy. It's a challenge to make this message engaging so that people care. It has to be clear and understandable, but also has to be interesting. Uh, yeah, if, if you give training and, and it's like the airline safety videos, no one's going to pay attention. And it's just like throwing the information out into the void. It, it's just, it's worthless. The point of training is to create a culture of privacy in an organization, to make people understand why they should care, to teach people enough to know what the basic issues are, when they should ask for help, how to be careful and where to be careful and when, when it comes to using personal data and even what personal data is. And so that message is really key to the success of the privacy officer who, or who, whoever is handling privacy, because it depends on the cooperation of everyone in the workforce, everyone who's handling the data, accessing the data, creating new technologies and products and services. They need to be thinking about these issues. Everyone needs to be thinking and caring. And that's where the strongest privacy programs are one where there's people at the top care, but also people at the bottom care. Everybody cares. And that is what makes it a strong and effective program. So the messaging has to be good. And that's a challenge. How do you hit the right message, the right tone, the right length, and present it in a way that people will take in this information, retain what they've learned, and really build that privacy awareness culture? Those are all great points, Dan. I think that's really helpful for companies. When we think about sort of what the hot topics are that companies need to be especially focused on, it seems as if targeted advertising is uh, certainly, you know, having its moment. What do you say to companies about how to start thinking about targeted advertising and third-party cookies going away and and sort of what kind of approaches should they be taking so that they're not caught flat-footed? That's a real tricky one. And I wonder, I, I mean, I've always thought there's a little too much, too much villainizing of the cookie and too much pressure put to try to eradicate the cookie. Way too much on these pop-ups that say, do you want to accept all the cookies? And I, I think those are generally annoying and not very helpful to people. It's a very difficult issue because I think that what could replace cookies might not necessarily be better for privacy. It remains to be seen um, if this war on the cookie is actually going to lead to this privacy nirvana or if it's going to lead to maybe a privacy hell. And I think it could go either way. It looks like that's a bit of what the EU regulators are struggling with, is that if the third-party cookie goes away, does that then mean that more data is concentrated in the hands of big technology, particularly U.S. technology companies, leading to sort of the pendulum swinging a little bit further in a direction that the EU regulators are not thrilled about? Yeah, well, there's a tension here, too, because the more requirements that are you know, put into things or required, then 
the bigger companies will typically be able to find some way around them or some way to comply with them. They'll, they'll, they'll throw money at it and come up with a solution. It's the medium and smaller sized companies that will struggle. One of the, the concerns that the EU has, one of the big concerns, is that we have these gigantic behemoth Leviathan tech companies from the US, you know, the Googles and Facebooks and Amazons and Apples. And I think they're very, very, very concerned about those companies. But ironically, some of the things that they're pushing are actually empowering those companies because those are the companies that are able to comply with this most easily, whereas the others aren't. Now, it's tricky because I think the law should ask a lot of companies. I think companies have a responsibility if they're collecting data to be responsible with it and not you know, foist all these costs on consumers and on other people that if you're collecting data, you know, you should collect it and, and be held responsible for, for the privilege of having all this information and collecting it all. But that said, there's that tension and it's a tricky one to deal with because I, I don't think that the EU wants to strengthen the hand of the companies that are really the ones that it's most nervous about which I think a lot of this winds up doing. I agree. I think regulation definitely tends to favor that big companies come out better on the other side of, of new big regulation. On the other hand, there are companies that are creating tools that can help companies comply. And so one thing that we've seen is that over time, companies come up with tools that will allow for smaller companies without the same resources to be able to leverage the tool to get the job done. There's some concern, but there's some optimism that there could be solutions out there that would help smaller companies come up with something to help comply with, with some of these new restrictions out there. You know, the optimist in me says, you know, for companies, says that there will be some solutions uh, down the road that will address this. It's just unclear like, where is the world going without the cookie. I think the best thing that could be done, the kind of gold standard when it comes to collecting and using data, is get people's opt-in, get people's consent. Because right. if you get people's consent under almost any law, you're going to be okay. So that is the best thing you can do. Now, maybe it's not as feasible. I, I, I get all the, the pushback on it. But if you really want to be safe, that is the safest thing to do. And wherever possible, get consent, get opt-in, and that will make you comply with as many laws as you could possibly comply with. Well, I don't even think it's about complying with the laws, right? I think it's also about transparency to your consumers and letting them know exactly what it is you're doing and what data is being collected. I think when, when consumers feel like they're being informed, they're more likely to agree and opt in. It only benefits them. And I think back to your point about big tech, not only do they have the resources to comply, they have the resources to actually get their voices heard in a way with legislators that the small to medium-sized businesses don't have. And I think we saw that, quite frankly, in this most recent federal bill here in the U.S. There's some provisions in there that I think, especially when you look at the technical compliance programs, seem to be targeted towards allowing these big companies to kind of do everything internally without any kind of third-party check on them. They have resources on both sides of this with regards to compliance, with regards to actually being in the ear of legislators. So it's something that I think for those of us 
who want to service those small to medium-sized companies, finding those solutions for them, finding the resources for them, as, as you said, and they, and they do exist and they're out there. And I think that they will continue to innovate on that level because we need the small to medium-sized companies in the industry. We need them. This has been a really interesting conversation. I think we've touched on a lot. So I do want to wrap up this episode. And Dan, thank you so much for your time. We want to end this with a question that we're going to ask each guest this season, which is what's your one big prediction for privacy over the next five years? Well, I'll give it a really easy one, which is that we're going to see more laws and a lot more activity. And it's a prediction I can safely make. Privacy will continue to grow. There will be more privacy professionals. There will be more privacy laws. The laws are going to have more different types of provisions that are going to regulate more things. And so I think that we're going to see this trajectory continue. And that's because the existing privacy laws still really haven't fully addressed this problem. They've certainly advanced the ball, but the ball has a long way to go. And so I think that what we will see is more laws being passed. And and unfortunately, a lot of the state laws we're seeing are are not really pushing the ball far enough. And so ultimately, if they think, okay, this is somehow good because the public's upset about this and people are concerned, so we'll pass this weak law that will kind of satiate them. Yeah, it's kind of like giving someone who's really incredibly hungry and then giving them some kind of measly appetizer. Maybe in that moment, they will feel full, but then over time, they're going to be hungry again. They're going to say, wait a second, are are things not better? Why am I still really worried and concerned about my privacy? And that concern, if it doesn't go away, is the engine out of which privacy laws are born. And so that engine's going to keep it going. And so, yeah, maybe you you forestall something for a few years, but you really are just kicking the can down the road. If you pass a really good law that really does meaningful things, then you actually make some progress. And then you can tamp down on that hunger for more, and then you have greater stability. Unfortunately, with a lot of laws, you really don't have that because the laws don't quite get there. They aren't as effective as they should be. And then we see this engine continue. And I think that's a tough lesson for policymakers to learn because a lot of them do want to pass the minimum amount. A lot of industry wants the minimum amount because in the short term, that seems like it's better. But I'm a long-term thinker. And I'm also a person who prepares for the long term. I believe a lot in delayed gratification uh, rather than instant whatever. And I think in the long term, the play is very different than the short term. I think industry is often focused on the short term. Policymakers are often focused on the short term. But if we really want to get a handle on this, we need to start thinking more long term and create laws that are going to stand the test of time. And I'm not sure we're there yet. So my prediction is we're going to see more cloudy skies and more regulation as we keep trying with these little short-term measures to inch forward. But until the consumers feel that they are protected, we're not going to see an end to the law. Well said, Dan. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. This has been a great discussion, Dan. Thank you so much for joining us. 
During this season, our podcast will cover a range of privacy issues critical to businesses. Our goal for this podcast is to give business leaders actionable insight with respect to privacy and their businesses. We thank you so much for listening and hope you will subscribe to the podcast and join us next time.